0: We're to hear God's word from the gospel according to John and chapter 3. John chapter 3. I shall read from verse 1 to verse 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Judas. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. A word of prayer. God of light, we thank you that light has come into the world. Open our eyes now that we may see more of the blessing and sweetness and truth and power of these words of light that we may be changed and we may be more like your son Jesus Christ for his name's sake. Amen. Our prayers have been with Jeff and Hannah during this past week. We are glad to hear of the help that the Lord gave to them on the occasion of the the funeral of Jeff's father. And uh, because of the commitment he had uh, during the week, he asked me a few days ago if I would uh, take this message this evening. I was quite excited when I found that we were going to look at this favourite chapter in the whole Bible, John chapter 3 because it contains that uh, best-known verse of all the verses in the Bible, John chapter 3 and verse 16, "...for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life." And I look forward to the idea of uh, being able to preach on this text for the very first time. Though I've often preached from John chapter 3 in the past, I counted up eight sermons in my uh, records. I've never preached on verse 16 before. And then I found that I wasn't going to be allowed to do it tonight either. (laughs) Because this is the second in a series of messages which we're being uh, asked to look at on how Jesus meets people. And so... My title tonight is Jesus Meets Nicodemus and we have to look at the, the whole scenario here. This picture we have of Nicodemus and the interview he had with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Meets Nicodemus. Now immediately we see that uh, when he came to Jesus, he came at night time and uh, there must be some reason for this. One of the commentators even suggested They had both had busy lives. They couldn't manage it in working hours. They had to come in the evening. But it was probably something a little more subtle than that. Because uh, uh, if we know a little about Nicodemus and a lot more about Jesus, we know that uh, uh, Jesus wasn't the kind of person that Nicodemus was expecting to be seen with. What sort of person was he? Well, we're told that he's a Pharisee. That means he belonged to that group of, of Jews who were lawyers and who were zealous for the pure religion of the Jews. The word Pharisee means pure. He was a purist about the Jewish religion. Then he was a top guy. He was a ruler. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the, the council that ruled the Jewish state under the Roman overlords that they had. Then Jesus himself calls him a teacher. In fact, In the original language, Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. He's the teacher. He's the one who knows all about what should be taught. And then from what we can assume here, and what we read in this chapter, we can say that he's a certainty for the kingdom. If anyone was a shoe in for the kingdom of God, it's a man like this, a leader, a teacher, a ruler, a top man in the Jewish faith. Eminently suited. But and this is the power of this passage tonight. But Jesus shot Nicodemus and challenged him with this remarkable statement. He had to say, even to this man who had it all religiously, you must be born again. Jesus declared, verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now the way in which John waves this story into the whole of his gospel makes it something burningly relevant to us. If you have one of those clever Bibles with a, a margin and a little explanation sometimes about w- what words mean, you may notice that it tells us uh, in re- reference to what he says about verse 7, that you must be born again, that the you is in the plural. He's not just saying to Nicodemus, you as an individual must be born again. He's saying, all of you must be born again. Who are the all of you? Well, as Neil helpfully reminded us last week, if you look at the end of John's Gospel in chapter 20, he tells us why he wrote this book altogether. And he explains to us that he wrote this book, these are written that you may believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All the readers of John's Gospel, all who are going to hear this story that's recorded for us in chapter 3, all of you must be born again. Indeed, as it goes on to say in verse 3 and in verse 5, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one. So this is a, a message for everyone. This is about all the people of the world. John chapter 3, verse 16 is about God loving the whole world and in all the world there is only this one way to enter the kingdom and that is by being born again. But this phrase has not had a good press. The phrase born again means to so many people the kind of language used No disrespect to our American brothers and sisters, the televangelists in America, in North America, who uh, made a great fuss about being born again, and then were exposed for their unsavoury deeds, and some of them their financial dealings, and so it's meant that a lot of people, even genuine Christian people, don't like using this expression, born again now. So what do we do? We talk about um, people making a commitment. We talk about uh, people who are making a profession of faith. A more popular expression I've heard recently is about our all being on a journey. I'm not going to criticise those expressions, but I am saying we are Bible Christians. We believe what the Bible says. Surely we can don't know better than to say, what does the Bible say? What is the language Jesus uses about this significant, this most important theme? It's Jesus who uses the language about being born again. And how does the story of Nicodemus help us to unpack then the meaning and importance of this expression? It's something which I believe is very, very important. You see, even if you say tonight, I'm born again, what about our families? What about our relations, our children, our grandchildren? What about the people we're going to meet at work tomorrow? Our neighbours, the people that we mix with during the week. We have a great interest at a church in the work of missions. What are these people doing going all around the world? The expression, born again, is for all of those people. It's a wide-sweeping challenge. That's why we're going to look at it tonight, and we're going to do it under the three steps which we can find in this chapter. First of all, we need to grasp what Jesus means by saying born again. What does he mean by it? Not what the televangelist or anybody else means. What does Jesus mean by it? Then we need to believe who Jesus is. There's a great deal about believing in this chapter. Then, thirdly, we need to live by what Jesus says. The last verse of the whole passage says, whoever lives by the truth. Those are the three things we're going to look at tonight. First of all then, we need to grasp what Jesus means by saying, you must be born again. Well, it's quite clear from the whole of the way in which Jesus explains it here that he's talking about an entirely new nature. He's talking about something creatively new and different. I know Nicodemus has his uh, difficulty getting his head down. That wouldn't we all. How can a man be born when he is old? How can he be, enter a second time into his mother's womb? Nicodemus is thinking about only the physical meaning of this expression being born. Well, that's not surprising. Jesus says this is about the human nature, this is about the earthly things, but I'm talking to you, Jesus says, about the spiritual level, about the spiritual nature, heavenly things, the spiritual life of eternity. And it's a reminder to us, isn't it, that uh, becoming a Christian is not just a human being deciding to turn over a new leaf and start a new way of life or uh, a new decision about what he wants to do. It's about having such a change of our inward nature that it's likened by birth, something radical like that, a new nature entirely. Now this is very opposite of what Nicodemus was expecting, because Nicodemus was one of those experts in the Jewish faith which at that time had degenerated into being a law-keeping thing. What we did by keeping the law, that's what mattered. But now when people have a new nature, they have a new strength to resist sin, they have a new motive to love and praise God, They're not doing things for fear of the law and judgment. They're doing things because they have a new desire within them. But before we get any farther in this, I just want to ask you to look at this word must, because it's a a, a significant word for us to understand. Verse 7, you must be born again. We use the word must in two ways. Sometimes we use the word must as a command. The house is on fire, you must get out. That's a command, something you have to do. But here it's used in a different way. It's a condition. You must have two legs if you want to walk. Think about it. You can't do it without two legs. You must have two legs if you're going to walk. It's a condition. And Jesus is here using it not as a command... Because how can you command somebody to be born? Even the language that's used is in the passive form, be born. It's something which is a condition. That's emphasised to us by the way which twice Jesus says there is no exception. You see, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So that's what Jesus means, an entirely new nature. But there's a way in which he shows us here, it also means that it is a work of God the Spirit. A work of God the Spirit. Literally, the expression born again means born from above. Not born a second time, but born from above. And he speaks here about being born of the Spirit. See, the Jewish faith is what we can do. This is about what only God can do. God is the one who is the origin of this. He uses the picture of the wind to explain it. He says, well, it's a a bit of a mystery. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. But you can feel the effects of it And that's what he's saying here. When God makes a change in a person's nature, you can see and feel the effects. Isn't it one of the encouraging things we have at baptismal services when people testify to the new nature and the change there is in their life? This is because it's God who's done a work. And that's the essence of being born again, a work of God the Spirit. And the third aspect of what Jesus is saying here is that it's an essential for everyone. An essential for everyone. Verse 3. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now I think the story of Nicodemus is here for one obvious reason if anyone didn't need anything else, it was Nicodemus. All the Jewish readers of this, all the people who knew about what was going on in the Jewish faith at the time, would say, Nicodemus surely was a man who had it all and God would accept him. But Jesus is saying, no, there are no exceptions to this. None whatsoever. However religious or respected or self-confident we must all be born again. You can be beatified like Cardinal Newman. You could be canonised like St Francis of Assisi, You could be adulated by the Pope. But you must be born again if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. You may have delightful children and grandchildren. They may be kind and loving and thoughtful and doing all the things you expect of them as your family. But they won't see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You may have lovely neighbours. You may get on very well with them. No problems at all. They may be generous and kind and willing to lend you the sugar whenever you ask for it. But unless they're born again, they're not going to see the kingdom of God. You may know some very pious religious people of another faith. The Muslim may say his prayers regularly, day after day. He may be a peace-loving person, but unless he is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. He is the one who is explaining to us what he means by being born again is it's an entirely new nature. It's a work of God the Spirit and it's essential for anyone who wants to go to heaven. So, if we grasp that, what else is there in the story that we can learn? Well, we need to believe who Jesus is. You see, the danger of saying this is something which God does in us and gives us a new nature, it leads some people to sit down and say, well, I've just got to sit down and wait until God zaps me and gives me a new nature. Is that all I've got to do? Is that what Jesus said to Nicodemus? No, he didn't. He said to him, there is something that you have got to do. You may not be able to, to be born of yourself, but what you can do, and what you must do, is believe. You must believe Jesus. That's why faith is emphasised in this chapter so much. Let me give you just three aspects of that which are in the chapter first of all we must believe that Jesus is the light to show us the way look almost at the end of the the passage verse 18 whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son this is the verdict light has come into the world John is very fond of this expression of Jesus being light. If you go back to the first chapter, you can see where he speaks there about in him was life and that life was the light of men. You have that uh, very clear expression later on in Job chapter 8 where Jesus says I am the light of the world. Now light is something very, very significant, isn't it? It's light that shows us our own need and what we really like. That's why, if you look at verse 19 and 20, uh, John is writing this, he says, everyone who does evil hates the light. At first, people don't like what they hear about Jesus. They don't like this one who is different, this one who is so righteous, who does everything that God wants him to do. And is so obedient and so pure that when they compare themselves with Jesus they begin to see how ugly and sinful and wretched they are. Many people in the Bible, the first time they have some awareness of the presence of this God in Jesus, they say, I'm unworthy of all this. I don't like this idea. But then, as as the chapter makes clear, God isn't doing all this to condemn the world. He's not doing it so that we feel terrible about ourselves. He's doing it so that we will see our need and see that Jesus is the one who came to save us and to give us the guidance that we need for the future. He is the truth. He is the only Lord and Saviour. He's the one we are to follow. We are to live by him. And he's the only way. These other religions, these other ways to God, these other suggestions that people bring up, they're of no value at all because he is the light to show us the way. Now, I do have the privilege for a moment or two to talk about verse 16, that he is the unique gift of God's love. He is the unique gift of God's love. It isn't a surprise, is it? that this text has become so well-known because it has such wonderful truth in it. Not just the words are true, but the, the fact is here that Jesus came into the world. And what it tells us here is that he came because God loved the world. And because God so loved the world, he sent his Son. And we trace all of this back. We trace the coming of Jesus. We coming the, the, the significance of all that he came to do. We trace all of this back to heaven and to the God of heaven and the creator of all the universe and we see that he has, he has a heart. He has a heart of love and his attitude towards us, sinners though we are, rebels though we are, in darkness though we are, he loves us and sends his son into the world that we may believe in him. No wonder we sing sometimes amazing love. How can it be? Jesus is the unique gift of God's love. Then in verses 14 and 15, we're told He is the saviour lifted up to die. Lifted up to die. Still speaking to Nicodemus, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. We have to believe not just in who Jesus is, but what he came to do. He came to be lifted up to die. Some of you will know this story from the Old Testament. If you want to turn to it now, you can do so in the book of Numbers. And in Numbers chapter 21, there's a story of how the people of Israel are on their way to the promised land and they rebelled against God and God judged them by sending poisonous snakes and the snakes bit the people and the people were ill and the people died. But God is a caring God. And so he made a provision for them. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it up on a pole, Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake. and put it up on a pole. Then anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Can you imagine the people talking about this? What's that thing he stuck up in the middle of the camp? It looks like of kind of snake. Yes, and you know what Moses has said? If you look at that, you'll get better from your snake bites. You won't have to die. Don't be so ridiculous. How could that save me? How could that be of any use to me? I'm not going to bother to do that. I'll, I'll just sit here and wallow in my illness and eventually I shall have to pay for my sins. But some people would say, no, this is God. This is what God's done. God said... If I look at that snake, I'll live. And so they looked, and they lived. What a perfect picture for Jesus to use to Nicodemus to show him what faith is all about. Faith is about believing that Jesus, however astonishing it may be, however difficult it may be to grasp, Jesus came to be lifted up as the snake was lifted up. Whoever believes in him will live and have eternal life. John refers to this again later in chapter 12 where Jesus is explaining about his death. This is John John 12 and uh, uh, verse 32. I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. What kind of death was he going to die? The death of an old man who is at the end of his days and dies peacefully in his bed? No. This is the death of a penal execution of someone being found guilty of such crimes that they wanted to execute him. A death which was a cursed death. One lifted up like that, the Bible says, is cursed by God. And Jesus was willing to do that because he loved us. Because he knew that's what we deserved. We deserved that death. We deserved that penalty. We deserved that separation from all that is good and glorious and lovely in God. And he was lifted up to die for us. And that's what we must believe about the Jesus whom we believe. He is the light to show us the way. He is the unique gift of God's love. He is the Saviour who was lifted up to die. That's why in a few moments, my friends, we should sit around this table, we should take this bread, we should take this wine, we should remember what Jesus did for us in dying on the cross. And when we do this, we show that we believe. That's what we must do. We must be born again. And in order to be born again, we must believe in Jesus. Well, thirdly, and more briefly, from verse 21, we need to live by what Jesus says. We need to live by what Jesus says. The truth. We have to hear. The truth. Three times in this chapter, verse 3, verse 5, verse 11, Jesus says to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. This is about the truth. How does faith come to us? Well, Romans chapter 10, in those familiar words, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. We have to hear the truth. If we want our babies to be saved, our little children, we introduce them to Bible stories. They'll hear the truth about Jesus. We bring them to S-Club. When they grow up, we make sure they come to a youth group where they're being taught the stories about Jesus. When our friends become interested in the gospel. We bring them here to hear the story. Wasn't it encouraging in the church meeting to hear people saying they wanted to come to this church because they heard the Bible explained? This is what we want people to do. If they're going to be born again, they must hear the truth. And hearing the truth is an essential stage for them. So when we have a guest meal, we don't just have food, we have a speaker that brings the truth about Jesus. When we have a Christianity Explored course, it's so that when people come, they can learn more about the truth of Jesus. Hearing the truth is important. That's the crucial importance of translating the Bible into the mother tongues of people around the world because there are millions still who aren't saved. They can't be born again because they haven't got the truth in their own language. And the translation of the Bible into their language is a step so that they may hear the truth and believe in Jesus. So that's the next thing. Not just to hear the truth, but to trust the truth. Believing is about trusting You can believe facts, but this is not believing facts about Jesus. It's trusting the person who is Jesus. Trusting that he is the one who has taken my sin and taken my penalty and become my saviour. It's the person that we trust. Look back at verse 16 where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, not in the stories of the Bible, but in him, we believe a person. We trust Jesus. So that when we stand before God, Nicodemus may be able to say, I was a Pharisee. I was a ruler. I was a teacher. We will say, I was a sinner. But I trust Jesus. And I hope and pray and expect that God will receive me into his kingdom because of Jesus, not because of anything I have done. And then thirdly here, verse 21 says, we must live by the truth. It's not just hearing the truth and trusting the truth. We've got to live by the truth. When the little baby's born into the world, we rejoice. But we expect to see that baby beginning to move and feed and cry and gradually begin to make sounds and talk and walk and laugh because the life must be expressed in living by the truth. That's why we must be seen not just to say that we believe in Jesus, but to live by who he is. Now, there is a big question in the story of Nicodemus that um, I have to face honestly. Was Nicodemus ever born again? You need not look it up now. He gets two more mentions in the Bible. He gets a mention when other people want to kill Jesus, and he says, hold on, we ought to be careful about killing this man. Then he gets a mention when Jesus actually is killed and after he dies on the cross, Nicodemus helps to take his body and bury it. Is that enough to be born again? Is it enough to be talking about Jesus? Is it enough to be doing things? The signs of our being born again are that we live by the truth of who Jesus is. This is a day of harvest. Some of the songs we've been singing today are about the fact that God one day is going to reap his harvest and bring all his people together. And who will they be? They will be the people who are born again. Let me conclude then. To be born again is a miracle. It's a miracle only God can achieve. Only he can save. But if we want to see it happening, and only God can do it, we must ask him. We must pray. If we're not born again yet ourselves... We must pray, God, give me a new heart. I can't do this on my own. If we're concerned about our children and our grandchildren, we must pray that God will work a miracle in their lives. We must pray for them to be born again. If we have kind neighbours and we want to show how concerned we are for them, we must be praying for them to be born again. If people come under the sound of God's word here on the Sunday, we must be praying for people to be born again. Did you pray this morning that somebody coming into this church would be born again tonight? There's a story that may be apocryphal of how Spurgeon had one of his students coming to him to say to him one day, Mr. Spurgeon, he said, I see that people have been converted in your church but whenever I preach, people aren't converted in my church. Spurgeon said to him, well, you don't expect people to be converted every time you preach, do you? He said, no. So Spurgeon said, that's perhaps where you ought to start. We should expect people to respond to the truth of God. This is why he's given us the gospel. That's why we're concerned for one another. This is why we learn about these things, not just that we may say, oh, isn't that great, that we may pray for God to be doing it, in our day, amongst our family and our friends. We may have all kinds of different evangelistic methods available to us today. But the essential thing is that we'll be praying for God to use them. The key to effective mission, one of the commentators says, the key to effective mission for the living God is prayer to the living God. God grant us then, if we are born again, that we will be praying and praying and praying for more people around us, especially those closest to us, to be born again of his spirit. Amen. Amen.